All right. Good morning, guys. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm just going to say this morning, my name's Drew, and I'm one of the pastors of Veritas. I was here for a long time, from 2012 to 2017, and I've said, you can take the pastor out of Veritas, but you can't take Veritas out of the pastor. So I love this church, and it's a privilege for me to be back here teaching this morning. When Jeff Dodge asked me to teach, I was really excited, particularly to be teaching on Mother's Day, because this has been a really hard year for all of us, but disproportionately so for the moms. And I just count it as such a privilege to be able to teach a really practical message this morning about kind of an unexciting topic. The topic is faithfulness. And I don't know what you think of when you think of faithfulness, but faithfulness is just being in the grind with the Lord and doing the practical things. And who has done that more than moms over the past year? And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to just unpack the simple big idea that faithfulness is not a feeling and look at Psalm 37 together. And basically, I just want to specifically be speaking to moms, but more generally be speaking to all of us and just pushing us in this direction of recommitting ourselves to a life of faithfully following Jesus in the trenches. So we're looking at three incentives to be faithful. The first one is a little bit counterintuitive, and it's how faithfulness feels. So we're looking at Psalm 37. We're going to start at the very beginning, verse 1, and read just the first three verses here. So it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So I said that faithfulness is not a feeling, but what I don't mean by that is that when you're on the path of faithfulness, that you won't have feelings. So the whole book of Psalms in your Bible is written to show you that as a Christian, you are going to experience the full range of human emotions. Becoming a Christian doesn't shut off even negative emotions. And we see that right away in the psalm as David exhorts believers to fret not. And so that word fret actually has kind of a rugged meaning to it. It means to become furiously anxious. Who of us over the last year hasn't experienced furious anxiety? Just this anxiety that boils into you and your, your anxiety starts to turn into rage. Or, or which of us over the past year hasn't wanted to trade lives with somebody else? And David hits on that and says, hey, even as a Christian, sometimes you're going to be tempted toward literally envy, furious jealousy. He says, sometimes as a Christian, you are going to feel super mad, not because you're being unfaithful to Jesus, but because you are being faithful to Jesus. And the specific picture that he has in mind is when you're 
following Jesus in the trenches and you look at the people around you who are not believers at all and it seems like their life is going better than yours. Or, objectively, their life just is going better than yours. You're experiencing deep loss, you're experiencing sickness, you're experiencing depression or sadness, and you begin to think, maybe if I bailed on Jesus, my life would be easy too. And David is saying to us, no, that's how faithfulness feels. There's this common lie in Christianity that's like sort of a bait and switch. It's like you give your life to Jesus and then your burdens will be lifted and you'll be filled with joy. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to say, yeah, that's true sometimes, but it's also sometimes true that after you come to know Jesus and you're faithfully walking with him, that you will feel so at the end of your rope that you will internally just be saying, I'm done. And I just want to reach out to those of you this morning who came and it was like everything you could do just to get here. Specifically you moms that are just like, I am so tired. And if one more person looks at me with a judgmental glance in the grocery store, I'm just going to lose it and maybe walk away from Jesus. I'm saying this message is for you. All right. And I'm saying that that feeling, that anxiety, that rage is not necessarily indicative of the fact that you have walked away from Jesus, but could be there because you are faithfully following after Jesus. Guys, I, I'm thinking about my wife, Melissa. She's on the picture, the one who's like a human jungle gym that all my kids are climbing all over. And Melissa has been my hero this last year. But she made a statement to me about a month ago where she said, this last year has been the hardest year of my life. Which is really saying something because... In the past several years, we lost a child. Our sixth child died. My wife's mom, who was her best friend and the biggest helper in our family, also died in 2016. And so for my wife to make the statement, this, not those years, this year has been the hardest year of my life, is a big statement. And she's my hero because in the midst of all that, she's been faithful. She's gotten up every day. She's done things that she never thought she would do. She's homeschooled our kids and dealt with COVID protocols and, and done all the things that you other faithful moms have done. And what I'm saying in saying that I'm so proud of her and she's been so faithful, don't get the picture that things have always been rosy around my house. I think people can especially have this like, Oh, pictures of like pastors' families. It's like everything goes well. Everyone sits around the table and reads the Bible or something like that. That is not how it goes. So there's been, there's been tears. There's been depression. There's been anxiety. There's been anger. There's been the whole range of emotion. But the reason for that in my wife's life in particular has been her commitment 
to be faithful. It's not because she hasn't been faithful. It's because she's stuck it out. She hasn't bolted. And David is saying to all of us, maybe you're feeling tired because you are being faithful. Okay, we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves. What's faithfulness? That's the next question. What, what is it? What are we talking about? What does it look like to live a faithful life? I'm glad you asked. Let's continue. We're going to read verse 3 again and read through verse 7. So it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Okay, so we normally think of faithfulness as dependability, or maybe to fill it in a little bit as dependably doing the right thing. And here's what David is doing in this passage. He's saying, yes, that's right. Faithfulness is dependability and doing the right thing, but it's much more than that. And he explains what he means by listing a few different ways that this works itself out in the life of the believer. So he says, for example, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And so he adds something to simply just being dependable or doing the right thing. He adds this relational component to faithfulness as well. And so what David would say is that is doing the right thing in relationship with God, in connection with God. To use New Testament language, in step with the Spirit of God, aware of the presence of God. So faithfulness is walking with God through the ruggedness of our lives, in the practical things of our life. It's being open to him and inviting him in to those spaces and allowing him to transform everything. It's keeping our commitment to him even when it hurts. It's believing God more than you believe your own desires or feelings. Because after all, no one feels like changing diapers or unloading the dishwasher or vacuuming the house or mowing the lawn. We don't do those things as Christians because we feel like doing it. We do it because we have a greater commitment to God than we have to our feelings. And so we take the next step. We don't bail out. 
I think the most vivid picture that we have of this faithfulness to God in the world is the picture of marriage. And we've got a ton of young couples in our church in Minneapolis, Salt City Church, and Melissa and I lead a young couple's small group in the church. And so I'm often asked by the couples in that small group to do their weddings. I think I'm signed up to do four weddings this summer already. And one of the conversations that I'll have with these young couples is, if I'm going to do your wedding, I want you to say vows to each other. And the reason that I say that is because a lot of times when I go to marry people and they read me the vows that they're going to say to each other, it's usually some like really fluffy, flowery poem that they want to read. And it's like, I just love you so much and I'll always be there for you no matter what. I'll always feel so in love with you. And it's like, those ain't vows. Let, let me show you some vows. And I always want the people to say this in particular in their vows. Very familiar to all of us. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. For better or for worse. Until death do us part. You guys realize how radical that is in our society to look at somebody and to say, I will stick it out with you if you make my life worse. That's a vow. Here's what faithfulness to God looks like. Even when it feels like you're making my life worse. And it is not worth it at like an existential level to follow you. I will keep on going. Faithfulness is this rugged commitment that stops at nothing to follow God that says, my feelings be damned. I'm following Jesus. Forget about those. Because my commitment to him is more important, get this, than my commitment to me. I trust that he has my well-being in mind even more than I do. Even though it feels like it's ruining my life. And here's the reason that we can do that. Because it's not ruining our lives. See, all of us, as Christians, need incentives and rewards and future hope to continue on this path of following after Jesus. And the Bible is chock full of them. So the final incentive to keep on going is to see where faithfulness leads. Look at Psalm 37, verses 8 through 11. David goes on, he says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. 
Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. First thing you have to see is that this passage is coming out of the mouth of King David. King David was a warrior. And it was a commonly held belief that the reason that Israel had their land in the first place is because they had fought for it. It was blood, sweat, and tears. They had earned the land. And so his listeners must have been like, what? Refrain from anger and forsake wrath, and you will inherit the land? What are you talking about? And I think the key to us interpreting this passage and getting into David's mind is that word inherit. So although the Israelites did fight, David didn't believe that their fighting had earned them the literal land that they walked on. He believed that God, in his grace and goodness, had given it to them as a gift. But even more than that, he believed that God had given it to them as a gift as their father. Think about the word inheritance. Who will you get an inheritance from? Your parents. A child gets an inheritance from their parents. It is unearned. It is a gift. And David is saying, not that by your faithfulness you'll earn this gift, but God wants to give you the world. He wants to give you everything. See, this word land It doesn't just mean the land that we're walking on. It carries this connotation throughout Scripture of ultimate hope. When the Israelites talked about the land, they were talking about the heavenly kingdom where they would dwell with God and He would be their God and they would be His people. And David is saying when it looks like all of the wicked people who are not following Jesus are prospering around you, and it looks like they are getting the good life by cheating and stealing and ignoring God, don't buy into it. Just wait. God's plan is to give you the land by his grace. So I got this picture in my mind as I was studying this passage. My dad grew up on a farm in Mitchellville, Iowa, just east of Des Moines, about a 600-acre farm. And he remembers as a kid, he's told me this many times because it's so meaningful to him, standing out on the land with his dad and his dad just putting 
his arm around him and saying, one day, this is going to be yours. See, that's how an inheritance works. It's not given by works or by fighting or by trying or through anxiety or through envy. It's given from a father to his son as a gift. And here's what I want you to experience right now. I want you to experience God putting his arm around you. I'm specifically thinking of you tired moms who just feel like the laundry's piling up and, and everything's piling up and the anxiety's piling up and the envy's piling up and internally and externally, everything is falling apart, out of control, and off the rails. And I, just, I want you to listen to this command just for a second, to be silent and just let God put his arm around you and to say, I've got a land. I've got an inheritance for you that you can't earn and that you can't unearn. And I want to give it to you because I love you and I'm your dad. And you be the child and let him be your dad and let him give you the world and receive it with the empty hands of faith. Now, how in the world can we think that people like us would get that kind of gift? Sinners, people who don't just get tempted to be furiously anxious, but have been furiously anxious and have taken that out on the people in our lives way too often who aren't just tempted to be furiously envious, but have been so envious that we've cut off relationships with people and treated other people in this room terribly, and and we've been bitter, and we've just given ourselves over so many times to sin, and we think, hasn't that disqualified me? In other words, hasn't my unfaithfulness to God disqualified me from this promise? And the answer, thankfully, is no. Because our faith does not rest on our ability to follow God. Our faith rests on Jesus Christ alone. And let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus did not feel like going to the cross. Do you remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is crying out to his father in prayer and he's saying, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. I don't even understand why my faithfulness to you has led me to this point. And then Jesus said, what? Not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus experienced so much pain in his faithfulness to God that as he was hanging on the cross, he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. And it seemed like at that hour that the forces of wickedness and darkness had won decisively. The life of faithfulness does not count. It does not matter. The wicked, the evildoers, those that you're jealous of or anxious because of, they will prosper and you will perish just like Jesus did. But why was Jesus on the cross? It's because Jesus came with vows for us, except his vows weren't for better or for worse. It was just for worse. It wasn't for richer or for poorer. It was just for poorer. It wasn't if you make my life worse. It was knowing you will make my life horrible. He vowed to us that he would love us no matter how much it hurt and knowing that it would kill him. And he did it anyway. Why? He was saying to you, my faithful life for your unfaithful life. My life for yours. I'll take your place. I see your tears. I see your anxiety. I see how hard it is for you to follow me. And I'll pay for your sin so that you can be clothed in my perfection. And then... Death didn't hold him. Guys, I've got good news. It's Easter. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And what does that show us? The faithful life counts. No matter how it feels, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you lose in this life, no matter how much better your neighbor's life looks, no matter how much more stuff they have, no matter how much you suffer, no matter how big the pile of dishes get or how high the pile of laundry is, no matter how much practical stuff, no matter how out of control your life seems on the path of following Jesus, in the end, you get the land because Jesus did it for you. Thank God. So the ask of you this morning is not just go be faithful in your own effort. Go try harder. Go make sure that you're super practical in everything that you do. The take home is delight yourself in the Lord. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. And counterintuitively, you will begin to experience an inner freedom and a desire to follow after him. By knowing that he was faithful in your place, you will have the incentive that you've always needed to be faithful in your daily life. So don't give up. Keep on going. Pursue after him because it might hurt, but it's always worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you were faithful unto death for us. That knowing that coming to earth and taking on flesh would make your life 
infinitely worse. You did it anyway. And you did it to say to us, I love you this much. God, I pray for those that are just feeling done and down and depressed this morning would experience your love reaching down into the deepest part of them and saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you. And would that draw us out of ourselves into a life of love to those around us? Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.